Well, it is good to see everybody here this morning. I'm um, glad to be back with you after the uh, last time when I came and talked to you for the first time about the Christian Outreach Center and all that we do. And um, I'm, I'm truly blessed. I've never felt more blessed in my life to be a part of this ministry. And it's um, nothing I ever would have picked for myself. But uh, God just you know, has a wonderful sense of, of delighting us um, and, and exciting us and stretching us and challenging us as he leads us to serve him. And so I'm, I, I just have to pinch myself every day. Uh, maybe the thought of working with homeless people might you know, make you uh, want to be kind of standoffish. Uh, but but I, I embrace it, and I just every day I drive to work, I just love what I do, and it's just it's a great privilege. And one of the greatest privileges about working with the homeless community is that um, I don't have to convince them about the first three verses that we're going to look at today. We don't have to spend a lot of time, um, you know, making the case for the fall and for sin. I mean, from the moment that they wake up, the moment that they open their eyes each day. They see fallenness and brokenness in themselves and others. Um, they see it in multiple ways, uh, all the way from when if they wake up in a shelter, if they wake up in, in, uh, under the bridge or in a doorway, on the street somewhere, in a jail cell, in detox. You don't have to convince them about the fall and about their brokenness. You know, sometimes for us, when we look at brokenness and sin, you know, we tend to try to outrun it. We, we, we come from good families. We're educated. We try to be, you know, attractive, successful, and avoid pain at all costs. And so for us, the fallen brokenness is, um, it's, it's maybe it's out there. It's ISIS. It's, um, it's, you know, terrorism. It's the shootings in North Baton Rouge. It's things that are away from us. It's not something that we like to think about that's in us. But that's what Paul does here. He writes the passage we're about to look at, listen to this, to believers to show us, to, to refresh us, to, to grow our understanding of the depth and the height and the extent of grace, which is something that we'll never exhaust in this lifetime. And so we're going to be looking this morning at the deep riches of God's grace and mercy toward us in Jesus Christ. Um, I want to start out by reading our passage. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So if you want to turn your Bibles um, or the Pew Bibles to that, or if you want to pull out your Bible app, um, you feel free to do that with me. I've been on a Bible app for about five years now, and I love it. So <laughs> got my ESV Bible right here, and I don't have to carry around a huge, thick encyclopedia. So um, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the, excuse me, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you with beggar's hands, lifting our hands up to you, Lord Jesus, that you would impart this truth to our hearts anew, that you would wash over us with the words of grace and mercy in a very fresh way that enlivens our hearts, that enlivens our spirits, that, that fires us up, that, that causes us to be, to be passionate, to, to, to be more responsive in our love toward you, our worship of you, our hope in you. Lord, apart from your grace, we're going we're gonna to leave just as we came in. We are deeply dependent upon you for gospel transformation. The sermon is not about some kind of an information download. It's not that they're here to pl- everybody's here to plug their USBs into, into the sermon and, and download the truth that's here. What we need to happen is for the words on this page, the words of, that you have inspired to just tear through our hearts like rivers of living water, that your spirit would just go and in, in, into the secret places of our hearts, the closets, um, the rooms that are left untouched, that your grace and your mercy would just wash through us, flow into us and flow out of us to the people around us. Lord Jesus, we need you to do this work for as salvation is by grace alone. Um, our sanctification, our growth in you Our appreciation of you, our love for you, can only be sparked by your grace alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all need to get grace more. We need to get it. We never have it down pat. We never have, ah, yeah, okay, chapter two stuff, yeah, I got that. Okay, I've read that 25 times, 100 times. I know backwards and forwards. I've, I've even led Bible studies where I've taught that, so yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll just, we'll just hear the sermon. We need to get grace if we're not Christians, and especially if we are Christians. This passage, Paul writes to believers. I don't know if this, this has ever occurred to you. You know, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, these are things that we commonly use when we're sharing the gospel with people who don't know Christ. But this section, this is written Two believers to describe what things were like before Christ and what things are like because of Christ and because of God's intervening love in our lives. Our passage before us today is going to show us salvation by grace through faith in Christ. The ESV Study Bible says the overarching theme of this passage is that God lavishes his grace on Christians through his saving initiative. God lavishes his grace on Christians through him making the first move. We love him because he first loved us. He took the initiative. And not like we take, I mean, think about like our relationship with our kids. You know, we take the initiative, you know, they do something bad, we take the initiative. We do that because we love them. We love everything about them. God takes the initiative with us when we were his enemies when we were living in utter rebellion against him and didn't want anything to do with him. We had nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And God took the initiative out of his grace, his love, and his mercy. 
In order to drive home God's grace and salvation, the Apostle Paul reminds the believers at Ephesus how they once were in verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The words in the first three verses describe everybody who doesn't have a saving relationship with Christ, no matter how smart you are, attractive you are, how how talented you are, accomplished you are, how good your family is, where you live, what you anything about you. These words describe everybody who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody, without exception, you, your spouse, your children, your parents, your best friend, everyone, without exception. And one phrase in these verses is heaped upon another to drive home our utter hopelessness apart from Christ. You were dead. How can we be dead when we're physically alive? Paul is talking about spiritual death. We all come into this world spiritually dead, and I know that flies in the face of of what a lot of our culture tells us. We, we look at, at babies when they're born, and I was looking at a wonderful baby yesterday. Um, gee, uh, let's see, this would have to be my, yeah, my great-niece. And, um, and it was a birthday party, and she's so cute. She has, you know, her, peer, her ears pierced with little pearls and a little cute bow on her head. And, and we, just, we look at children and we say, how innocent, how pure they are. And that's true. They haven't done a lot of outward things, like when you, when you get bigger and you start... You know, when you get to that age when all of our kids start saying, no, no. <laughs> but when, but the, the truth is, is that we're all born into this world as sinners. And everything that is about us, it's tainted by sin. You know, it's a difficult thing to accept that we are spiritually dead apart from Christ. You know, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the Garden of Eden. And he acted as our representative. And when he felt, we felt with him. We all come into this world separated from God in a condition of sin and misery. It goes on to say, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. All of us have broken God's commands. All of us have. As Christ tells us in the Sermon on the Mount... If you think you haven't broken God's commands, you haven't thought deeply enough about how far God's commands reach. You say, I've never killed anybody. You ever hated anybody in your heart? That's, you know, in God's view, that's on the level of killing that person. If we say, well, I've never committed adultery. You look after someone, you know, and want them in your heart. Christ says that that's like committing adultery. We have broken his commandments. More than that, we haven't done the commands that he wants us to do perfectly. Perfectly, all the time, at every moment of every day. Have you ever not sinned and done everything right that God would have you to do, just like Jesus did? None of us can claim that. No matter how good you appear on the outside, there's still also the problem of the heart, which is what produces the sin in our lives. It's not that we sin and therefore we're sinners. It's that our hearts are sinful and that produces the sin because we are sinners not by action but by nature. By nature. And hopeless 
apart from a Savior. It's an inside thing, not an outside thing. Verse 3 confirms that we are sinners by nature. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, make no mistake that our sinful nature goes back to, the, to our very existence, and not just at birth, at conception. At conception. Not that, not it, was, not that it was the act, it's from the moment of creation. We are sinners. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because we are born into this fallen sinful condition, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because of being sinners by nature, we follow after the ways of the world, and the world permeates us. It permeates our lives in ways that you know sometimes we're aware of and a lot of times in ways that we're not aware of following after the pattern of this world. But then check this here, as my friend says in our Bible study. We also follow after Satan. Now, this is, this is where it takes God to convince us of this, because we're like, you know, we're thinking, follow Satan. What? Am I like, you know, I have a pentagram in my house. You know, do I, uh, you know, do I sacrifice small animals to Satan? You know, I'm not, I'm not a satanic worshiper. But you have to understand that the Bible doesn't leave us any neutral ground. There is no neutral, secular, sacred, holy ground where, you know, okay, I'm not a devil worshiper, but I'm also not a follower of God. You're either one or the other according to the Bible. That if we're not a part of the kingdom of God, then we're under the rule of the evil one. And that's a reality. This is, again, something that we struggle to accept because it sounds a little kooky, maybe, or a little unsophisticated. Not me. I may not be a follower of God, but I'm no sucker, and I certainly don't follow some guy with a pitchfork. It's 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 far more than you think that it is. We we've part of the of what the devil wants us to believe is how ridiculous he might appear to be to the world. <laughs> you believe in a devil? What a sucker! That's exactly what Satan wants us to think. He wants us to. He wants his image to be ridiculous to where we don't take him seriously because that masks how serious his rule really is that we don't even realize. The ESV study Bible says we belong to the family of those who rebel against the holy and true God. If we're not in God's family, we're a part of the mass of mankind that is in rebellion against God that therefore serves Satan. Among whom we all lived in the passions of the flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As the great reformer John Calvin says, apart from Christ, you are a dead man. You're born a dead man. You live as a dead man. And we will be judged as dead people. Apart from Christ, we're lost. And we deserve God's eternal judgment on our sin. That's what it means to be children of wrath even as the rest to be objects of an unrelenting unyielding eternal judgment but God probably the greatest short phrase you will ever hear is right here at the beginning of verse 4 but God All of the things that we've set up to this point, think about it. 
we were dead in the trespasses of our, of our sins. Spiritually dead, by nature children of wrath, sons of disobedience. But God, when we transgressed God's commands, but God, when we sinned in thought, word, and deed, which we've done every day in one way, shape, or form, or another, but God, when we fail to carry out God's will, but God, when we were living for ourselves, but God, when we were trusting in delusions of our own righteousness and our goodness, but God, when we were his enemies walking in darkness, but God, when we were spiritually dead, but God, God intervenes into our story, into our lives, to where we were doing our thing, walking in our own way, anywhere from being an outwardly good person, but being inwardly self-righteous, to being outwardly provoking of God's wrath. And then God intervenes in our sin, in our self-righteousness, and everything in between, and he, he, he puts down in our story, in the ledger of our lives, the beginnings of his intervening race. But God, that's those two words I'm writing on your story and your book about your life. As I call you, as I take the initiative to save you in the midst of your deadness, in the midst of your sin. But God, I am here and I'm here to save you from sin, from yourself, from this world, from Satan. I am here to redeem you, to rescue you. Out of your complete hopelessness and your inability, I am here. I have sent my son for you. You were going one way, but God now takes you another way. You were dead in your trespasses, but God brings you to life in Christ alone. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved. Out of your hopelessness springs hope. Out of your helplessness springs salvation. Out of your rebellion springs submission. And out of your spiritual death springs life. Judgment. For all the sins that we've mentioned in verses 1 through 3, think about about the, the judgment on that. Being dead in our trespasses and sins, being the object being children of wrath, being the object of judgment. But then God comes and he intervenes, being rich in mercy. Judgment is covered by mercy. More mercy than you can ever imagine. The riches of God's mercy. I've known some pretty rich people in my life, some extremely wealthy people, that if you were to put everybody together in this room and all your friends Um, They could buy and sell us, you know, multiple times. But can you comprehend the extent of sin, the seriousness of sin, the depth of sin, and God's riches and mercy that can cover not just your sin, but the sin of all the people that Christ died for? God is rich beyond comparison. God has a a universal and eternal, not universal, He has an infinite supply of wealth and mercy. He is rich in mercy. 
and, and he never runs out. Think about the answer to this question, though. Think about it in your mind. Think about it in your heart. You know, based upon what God says about us in verses 1 through 3, is there anything spiritually lovable about us? Think about what the verses say about our condition apart from Christ, not what you see when you look in the mirror. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pulling down six figures. I've got this degree. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got great kids. I'm kind of successful. Um, You know, hey, I'm looking pretty good to myself. Or just fill in the blank. Whatever it is you take pride in or, or find sufficiency in in this life. I own a lot of land or I've, uh, I help a lot of people or, hey, I'm you know, number one on the football team. Whatever it is that you find your sufficiency in, you, you, you know, whatever it is, when God looks at us as we truly are, our hearts, our nature inside of us, is there anything ultimately spiritually lovable about us? Why did God spend his infinitely vast wealth of mercy on someone like you or like me? Because we sure didn't deserve it and we sure didn't earn it. Why did he take people who were his enemies, people who were dead in their trespasses? Why did he take people who were serving the kingdom of this world? Why did he take people who were um, following their own way and doing their own thing and didn't even care about him? Why did he make us alive? Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. He, here's the mystery of grace and we'll never unwrap this. And this is why grace should blow your minds. He loves, despite all that was said in verses 1 through 3, he loved us because he loved us. He loved us. We were enemies. We were in darkness. We wanted nothing to do with him. We... we we were at best indifferent to him and at worst in an outright rebellion against him, serving the, our orientation totally toward ourselves and our own interests. But he loved us because he loved us. The, the creator of the universe, who is holy, 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 who is the alpha and the omega, who, who, who we could never fathom, who's... who's Greatness, whose whose attributes are mind blowing. He loved us because he loved us. God's mercy on us in our helpless estate it it comes from his loving heart, and this is what grace is: our complete inability or desire to be saved. And God spiritually raising us from the dead. Giving us, we didn't even want it. And then God intervened in our life. He took those steps to save us. He gave us a new heart. He made us a new creation. He gave us a spiritual birth. He gave us new life in Christ. He spiritually unites us with the Savior. He makes us alive together with Christ. He raises us up with Christ. Not just you know, new life now, but the resurrection to come. He, he seats us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. We, we are part of God's kingdom here and now, but we rule with him when he comes back one day. He makes us 
alive so that we would give the only proper response. He shows us our problem and the solution, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he does this so that we would believe. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith in Christ, believing in Christ, it's, it's trusting and relying upon Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And don't confuse grace with faith. Grace saves us. Grace is salvation in action. Faith is the means by which it's applied to our lives. And faith itself is a gift of God. It has to be given to us. I mean, nobody believes for us, but God has to give us the grace of faith to believe. But faith is not what turns it all on, though. How can a dead man choose? It's like we're all lying at sla- like slabs at the morgue. I mean, come on, do something. Get up. Get off that slab. Pick up the arm. Do something. We're corpses spiritually. God has to make us alive. He has to give us faith so that we would in turn believe in him so that we so that we would have salvation applied to our lives justification applied to our lives faith is the means by which it's applied by grace we are saved through faith francis schaeffer says we are saved upon the basis of the work of christ faith is Raising empty hands in acceptance of the gift. That's all we can do is just raise our hands and say, God, give me your salvation. This past Thursday, I was, uh, again, there are people I deal with normally don't have to be convinced of, um, of their fallenness and their sinfulness. They're usually pretty convinced by the time I meet them. So there's this guy. We usually have fallout after our Thursday Bible study. We have two Bible studies each week. Mine's the more evangelistic one usually um, on Tuesdays that I teach at the one stop which is where more of the chronic homeless people are Thursdays we teach um, uh, my partner Jean teaches the one at the outreach center she's teaching through Ephesians right now and we serve her breakfast and we have about 20 people who show up there and I can show you pictures after on my phone um, and usually there's fallout especially after the Thursday meeting you know when they're over on our turf and they're away from everybody who's still maybe you know doing drugs and things like that when they get over to where we are, they feel safe, secure, and usually we, 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 the last couple of weeks we practically, we practically have to put skates on and go between the offices because we've got about at least three people that need to talk to us. And this one guy, uh, Gene, pulled me into, uh, into the, into the uh, counseling room, and this guy's sitting there, and he's probably older than I am, and he's talking about his life of, you know, of drugs, and he's just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and he's talking about how he just keeps making the same mistake over and over and over again. And he's in complete despair about his life. He knows that he is powerless to break any pattern in his life up to this point. And so he just, he said, he, things are so bad for him that he said, I've prayed that God would just take my life. I'm so tired of this. I pray that God would just take me. And I told him, I said, I've been where you are. I've prayed for, I've begged God to kill me when things have gotten as bad as they've gotten in my life. And he didn't. And he's got you here for a reason, just like he he has me here for a reason. And so we prayed with him for him to receive Christ. 
I didn't have to convince him at all that he was dead in his sins and his trespasses. God's grace had shown into his heart and enlivened him and showed him, you can't do this on your own. You need me. And that morning, Thursday morning, he turned his life over to Christ. And you know what the difference is between him and me and you? Nothing. In fact, we should be envious of him because if we don't know Christ, because God has brought him to the place where he knows he needs a Savior and he needs to do the same thing with all of us if we don't know him. And even as we are Christians, he needs to, to continue to show us the depths of our sin and the glorious riches that we truly have in Christ. That's why we have Ephesians chapter 1. You know, it, it, it go, Paul goes through all of the, of the riches, just this one long sentence. Uh, by the way, our passage is one sentence in the Greek. But, you know, from verses 3 to 14, just phrase upon phrase, heaped upon itself. Just one phrase by itself we could spend a sermon on. And he goes on and on about these things. And he says at the end of chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know the riches, the glories, the depth, the height of all of the stuff. But here's where we get grace even more. Notice that verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved. Notice the tense of, of the wording there. By grace you have been saved. Our salvation is locked up. It's secure. If it was based on our own works, we could never be secure. If salvation, if we just took the complete opposite of our passage and said, okay, it's up to me, or it's partly up to me, there's never a moment, on your best day, in the best moment of your best day ever, you could never have believed enough or have been good enough for salvation. Our sufficiency, our security is based upon Jesus' perfect life. His death on the cross, his resurrection on our behalf. And so because of Christ alone, not because of how strongly we believed, our believing was in response to the grace that's been given us, we are secure. There is no sin that you will commit from, that you've committed in the past, before you became a Christian, after you became a Christian, or that you will commit as a Christian, that will mess up your security. And as Paul is quick to tell us in Romans chapter 6, we are not to sin that grace might increase, but let's push that grace out there as far as we can. There is nothing you can do to mess up your relationship with God. And that is great news to those of us who continually beat ourselves up. And there, you, you can just tell when people are going through spiritual warfare, there's Satan with his voice in your ear whispering words of doom and failure and why you and you're such a screw-up and you keep doing the same garbage over and over again and you're a terrible parent, you're a terrible child, you'll never be good enough, you're not good at this, um, you're horrible at this, just Satan will come along and keep words of condemnation and shame and he'll take your sin out and parade it before you and shove it up your nose and, and just beat you up. That's what he does. But we can take our brokenness, our shame, our suffering, and our guilt to the foot of the cross because our salvation is locked up. We don't have to get God to like us again. He's never stopped. And in fact, when you were still his enemies... That's when he sent Christ for you. That's when he intervened with his but God in your life. So our salvation is locked up. It's secure since grace is what saves us. Grace is what keeps us to the very end. 
Just a few closing remarks. So what's our response? First of all, it's believing. It's, it's having faith in Christ. If you've never placed your faith alone in Christ, now's the time. This is the moment. The Bible talks about a sense of urgency about this. I mean, fine if you want to go take some time to think about it, but today's the day. If you haven't before, now's the time for a real living relationship. Those wells that you've gone to for satisfaction in yourself, in the world, through others, through religion, those wells are dry. Those wells stink. Those wells are, are tainted. You'll never, ever, ever be satisfied in anything but Christ. You'll never be saved in any other way apart from Christ. So we have to respond in faith. Our other response is worship. It's worship. Also, hope in the midst of hopelessness. Again, part of the rocky terrain that we travel as Christians is that we fall into times of where we feel abandoned and hopeless and those sorts of things. This is where we need to come back and base the truth of our lives on the truth of Scripture and not on our circumstances. Not on, you know... You know, if we're feeling the infirmities of old age or if we have a chronic illness or if we've just been diagnosed with, you know, with a disease or some sort of illness or we've hit to a times of financial ruin or we're just spinning our wheels or what injustice, whatever's happening in your life. We come back to the truth of how much God loves us, how much God values us and how his grace is going to get you through if he saved you. From all the things we talked about in verses 1 through 3, as Paul says in Romans, what can separate us from the love of God? He did all that for you before, you know, before salvation. He intervened in your life when you were enemies and living in darkness. So he will surely see us through all things. Um, second thing. As I alluded to before, we're to have an ever-expanding, ever-deepening understanding of God's grace. Remember, 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 this passage was written to believers. And all of us are to grow in our understanding of the cross, where the cross gets bigger in our lives. We grow in the depths of knowledge of our own sin, not to beat ourselves up and to be, oh, let me just have my head down and smack myself in the head with a Bible or something and be all depressed. No, the, the weird way that the kingdom of God works is that the more you grow in the depth of your understanding of sin, the greater your view of the cross grows. And, and when you see the depths of your sin, you, you actually are more excited and more overjoyed because of Jesus. You know, I've got this guy who who's floats around our group, and he, um, he tried to commit suicide, and the oxygen was cut off from his brain. I probably referred to him last time I was here. Um, but, you know, he'll just come up to me and say things like this. He'll, he, you know, he just has a problem getting his words out, but he'll say, you know, Pastor Brian, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. And this is a guy, you know, who lives in the homeless community and he gets it. He's one of the most godliest men I've ever known in my life. And he gets it. Uh, second to last parting thought. Good works, verse 10. If he's done all these things for us, it says in verse 10, he's got a plan for us to do good works that were laid out before the foundation of the world, beforehand, that we should walk in them. How do we respond to this overwhelming good news? We serve him. We serve his cause. We serve in the kingdom of God. We serve to expand the kingdom. We serve in his church. We serve on the front lines of ministry. That's what we do. We tell other people, 
you know, what's been true of us, what God has done for us. And then lastly, um, in verse 7, you know, why did God do this for us? Verse 7, it says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The ESV study Bible says, So that we will marvel for all eternity over the incredible kindness and love of God. It will take all eternity to fathom God's love, and those who are saved will never plumb the depths of it. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just continue to wash over us right now with the truth of your scripture. Lord Jesus, we we pray that our hearts would be opened up and the crud washed out and their hearts would be renewed this morning, excited and enlivened, that our spiritual walk would be rejuvenated, that if there's someone, first of all, who is in this room who has never placed their faith in you as Lord and Savior, today's the day, now is the moment to take an empty hand and receive the gift. I pray that if there's someone in this room right now, they would pray after me, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you. Please save me. I believe in you. I receive you. Thank you for saving me. And for the rest of us, Lord Jesus, On an ongoing, continual basis, may we see ourselves as deeply dependent upon your grace. May we be students of your grace. May we not just know it with our minds, but may we experience it in our heart, our lives, our circumstances. And may the gospel fully reach every aspect of our lives. That there would be no area of our lives where we have held back the gospel and said, Nope, this area is mine and mine alone. Lord, may this message... um, Chase out every area that we are claiming for ourselves. May you turn over tables in our hearts. May you uh, transform us, excite us, and just cause a difference to happen in us that invigorates us and, and is noticeable to those around us where people say there's something different about that person, and I want it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.